Hey, everybody. You got Keith Billis live in the lab, live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab, coming to you on a Friday. Oh, it's that day before the weekend where you look at the weekend and ah, you're an entrepreneur. You look at the Friday and you go, wow, Friday looks like Monday to me. Friday looks like Saturday to me. Friday looks like Wednesday to me. That's how entrepreneurs work. At least that's in my world these days. Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday. And I think our guest, Jonathan Pritchard, thinks that uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are all the same as well. So it's Friday. It's irrelevant what day it is, but we're in the lab today with special guest. He's a mentalist. Excited to have this conversation with Jonathan Pritchard coming up in a few minutes. But before we go there, I want to kick into transformational life experience coming up next year, 2024, starting January 1st. So those of you that are celebrating or thinking about your New Year's resolution next year, you have to stop. Nah. Not going to get you anywhere. You're going to start January 1st by January 11th. You're going to be done. Be lucky if you make it to the 12th. Some of you might make it to January 30th, but most of you aren't going to make it past probably two weeks. So stop even thinking about the resolution. And I invite you, I invite you to think about a transformational experience. And you're thinking, Keith, transformational experience, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, myself, along with the team in the Business Athlete Performance Lab, are inviting 10 people, 10 people to start their journey January 1st till December 31st of 2024. So you're going to join our team for 365 days. And we're going to sit down and do some wellness coaching, nutritional coaching, fitness coaching, business coaching, all around support. We're going to get through the year together, building our businesses, advancing our careers, maybe getting over a hump in life. Maybe you're going through a transformational experience at home or in your life professionally or personally. Maybe something's going on. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're going through the proverbial midlife crisis. Ah, I wonder what Jonathan has to say about that when it comes to being that, that whole crisis, just that whole idea. Maybe you're not, right? Maybe you're looking to do something exciting in 2024. Well, here's what I'm thinking. And here's what we're offering up to you. And we're taking people now. Four countries, three mountains, two day safaris, two night safaris, Lamu, Kenya, Shayla Beach, we're starting the year in January. We're going to climb Volcan Baru together, a day trip. Top of the mountain, bottom of the mountain, the only place in the world where you can see the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean at the same time. The only place. And we're all going to go back to our homes and go back to work and go back to our lives and build our lives together, build our businesses together. And then we're going to regroup in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on Mount Pico in the Azores. That's going to be an overnight trip. We're going to climb up the mountain. We're going to leave about 5 p.m., get up there about 11 o'clock. We're going to sleep under the stars. You will not see stars like that night in Pico. I promise you. We'll get up the next morning at 4 or 5 a.m., climb to the top of, out of the crater to the top of the mountain, overlook the Atlantic. But then, it's only June. We still got the rest of the year to go. We're uniting as a team now. It's June in 2024. We're all going to go back home, go back to work, keep connecting throughout the year, fitness, nutrition, wellness, emotional, mental, stay connected through the year. And then, oh, and then, end of September, first week in October, we're heading over to Tanzania, Africa, to pulley our way to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. You see, Volcan Baru and Mount Pico were the warm-up for the big dog, Kilimanjaro. You will succeed, I promise you. You're going to start training January 1st. By the time October 15th comes, you will have succeeded climbing three mountains, including Mount Kilimanjaro. So basically, one year from now, one year from now, you're going to look back in your own mirror, and you're going to go, oh my, holy, I've climbed three mountains. You have a bunch of new friends, a bunch of new colleagues. You've advanced in your professional life. You've advanced in your personal life. How do I know all this? Who am I? I've done this before. I've done all these adventures. Not in one year, mind you, but I've done all these adventures. I've completed them all successfully. Oh, and I started a business from nothing, white piece of paper, bootstrapped it and sold it for millions and millions of dollars and changed hundreds of lives around the world. But that's irrelevant right now. Right now, I want to help change your life. And I'm not done yet. We're going to make our way. Last week in November, first week in December, to Kenya, we're going to go spend time with the rhinoceros, with the rhinos, with the elephants, with the giraffes, with the hippos. We're going to safari day, safari night, and then we're going to end the year in a magical retreat that you don't even know exists, and neither did I until I went there. Lamu, Kenya, Lamu Island, no cars, no cars, donkeys. And I would not be able to take you there had I not been there before to build friendships and family that I call there now, my family there. I have family in that town. They changed my life. They changed my family's life. And I want to invite 10 other people to come back there with me to help change your life and change their life. So by the end of next year, your life is going to be transformed and you will have transformed other people's lives. So before we bring in Jonathan Pritchard, I remind you and I invite you, stop thinking about a New Year's resolution. Just stop. 
because it ain't going to work. I invite you to think much bigger than that because you are deserving of that. And the segue to bring in Jonathan is that, and he's going to probably talk about this. You're going to need a great deal of mental fortitude to make it through the year. It's not going to happen just because you can walk one foot in front of the other or lift a few weights along the way. Much of it's going to happen upstairs. So to do that and to talk about the mental side of life and so forth, why don't we bring in Jonathan Pritchard into the lab. Jonathan Pritchard, welcome to Live in the Lab. Hey, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's just get right into this. So when producer Roland flipped over your resume to me and said, hey, here's our guest today and our guest earlier this week, and I started just reading, I started digging into who you are and, and what you've accomplished professionally. And I will say that I have never met a professional mentalist or mind reader before. How did you become a professional mind reader? Well, thank you. I took the long route. That's for sure. And that is one of the good things is that there aren't that many of us in the world. So it's phenomenal job security, which is a, a nice tweak. But basically, a mentalist is a type of performer and entertainer that is a specialist in apparently reading people's minds. So think of it like if you've got a big house, a mansion for the world of mystery performers, then you've got magicians over here. Then there might be a room for big box illusions that you see in Vegas. And then you've got the card magicians that perform at bars and swanky cocktail venues and that kind of thing. Way back in the back, maybe in the attic, would be the mentalists who are magicians that specialize in the mind reading demonstrations of mind to mind communication, predicting the future, influencing decisions, all those kind of paranormal or psychic bucket, they all fall in there, but it's all communication skills and applied psychology. I don't claim to have genuine psychic powers or anything like that. So to me, it's just applied psychology, showmanship and moxie to pull these things off in front of audiences. So I started when I was a kid and the mind reading stuff just tended to be the thing that would freak people out. It's like, yeah, sure, you found my card. I'm sure there's some trick to it. But how in the world did you know what street I grew up on? Like, that's really disturbing. And I was like, all right, that's fun. And then that was the, the rest of my life. I've spent kind of digging into that rabbit hole. Jonathan, how much of it is entertainment compared to, I guess, a, a skill set or a professional offering? I'm trying to find the right choice of words, but how much of it is entertainment compared to the rest? That's a good question. And... It depends on what my clients are bringing me in to do. Okay. Because I've got one skill set, which is I'm really good communicating to an audience, especially in real time in front of a live people are right here in the room. What are you going to say to them? How are you going to do this? So that's my one skill set. And for a long time, it was all on the entertainment side. It's like, Come see the 70 minute mind reading show where you are the star of the operation. And I bring people up on stage and we have experiences and hilarity ensues. And then there's an autograph line afterwards and it's straight up. This is a performance. Well, do that for a long time and start getting emails from people be like, Hey, thanks for talking to me after the show. I don't know if you remember me or not, but you shared some ideas with me. It completely changed my life. Here's what I've been doing as a consequence, and I just have to thank you. And that was my peek into, oh, the way that I think about things, the way that I approach my own business is weird to a lot of people, even though it looks normal to me, most folks don't think this way. They don't understand the human operating system this way. So this might have some value outside the context of a funny ha-ha show. So that's when I started doing the business consulting and, and coaching. And then that opened up the whole more value forward training, speaking systems, engineering in alignment with human psychology and all the kind of corporate side of things. It would seem to me that being an excellent communicator, it would be the number one skill set you would have your ability to exactly. ask questions, learn from your audience so that you can subtly find the answers to the questions you're asking and they don't even know you're they're asking those questions. Am I going down the right path with you? Absolutely. Because every business deals with people. I can't think of a single business that doesn't deal with people, employees and client side. 
as much as AI is the talk of the town right now, we, we don't have AI companies selling to AI companies that much. I, like, I, can't, I can't think of one, but every business deals with people. So communication is being able to understand them and them understanding you. Most people think they're a good communicator because they talk a lot, but it isn't what you say. It's what your audience hears and understands about what it is that you're saying. So any point that your business connects with a human being, that's a critical point to get right in terms of your communication. So onboarding, marketing, branding, sales, negotiations, client retention, trade shows, conferences, awards parties, your holiday party, your Christmas party. Did you think to thank the families and the spouses of your employees? No? Okay, well, then you didn't communicate to your greatest asset, the people at home that could either say, I'm so glad you're at a company that treats you so well. They even said thank you to me and had a small gift for me at the, at the party. I love that you're working there. Or, boy, I showed up. Nobody even looked at me. Nobody said hi. I felt like I was an invisible ghost. Everybody there is a jerk. How could you work there? And suddenly you lose an employee because you didn't think to thank the spouse. Now you've got to spend two times their, their salary to go find their replacement. So just those small details, those soft skills are the hardest ones to get right and the ones that do the most damage or bring you the most revenue for your business if you get it right or wrong. Jonathan, you spend much time on the road visiting businesses, supporting businesses, communicating with businesses. Why do you think so many get those little things, those soft things wrong in your experience when you visit with them and you must have aha moments going, how did you miss that? Why do you think that is? There's a whole salad bowl full of reasons that, that we can dig out of there. But basically it's that people think business is different than being a host. But if you invited people over to your house, would you just be waiting upstairs and leave the front door unlocked and then just say, come on in. Like, yeah, sure. You do that with your best friends, your family. You'd be like, hey, the door's open. Come on in. But if you're hosting guests, I hope that you wouldn't dream of treating them that way. But there's this big chasm between personal hospitality and business. So people think, oh, I could ignore the hospitality angle of this because we're doing business. They're employees. I'm their boss. They got to show up and have fun because I'm telling them to, right? There's just this big gap there. And that's the other side of it is that most people focus on the business and ignore the show element of it. Kind of going back to your, well, how much of this is show? How much of this is business? It's both. It really is because most performers are horrific at business and are barely getting by. And then most businesses could really benefit from incorporating a little more show, which to me is simply polished communication. That's all it is. That's what, that's at the heart of it. That is the heart of it. Yeah. So Jonathan, you were on America's Got Talent and I'm sure you've been asked numerous obvious questions. I want to put those ones aside for when I want to talk about what happened before getting on America's Got Talent. I want to talk about the moment of, hey, I should apply for this. And then that process. And then I want to talk about the knock on the door, which was, hey, you're on the show. So let's first of all, start with what made you think about, I want to go on to America's Got Talent. And what was the motive to do that? On the showbiz side of things, the bigger audience you have, the more famous you are, the more your price goes up. I love it. I love so, it. Yeah. So my I have a college agent who I've worked with her since 2008, 2009. Okay. So we've worked together for a long time. And the producers of America's Got Talent keep an eye out for who those agents and agencies are. So then they farm out a lot of their job to those agents. So the producers will say, hey, agent, your roster, I'll greenlight them to, to be on the show. So tell them to submit their idea for what it is that they can do, and we'll take it from there. So my agent goes, hey, it's that time of year again. Do you want to go out for America's Got Talent? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? I'm like, all right, email this producer. Cool. So that was it. 
right? It, it wasn't a, oh, I've been working my whole life. It's, it was straight up agent says, hey, go do this thing. Like, all right, I'll go do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's weirdly way more, more mercenary than, oh, I, this is my shot, which is kind of a, a weird peek behind the, the curtain. So that's another element to show biz mm. that most people never see, which is that America's Got Talent is a show about a talent show. It is not a talent show. Hold on. Say that again to me. America's Got Talent is a show about a talent show. It is not a talent show. Oh, let's dig into that. So the show that people watch on their television, it sounds weird to say this. Those people on the screen are not real. They're not in your television. So none of this on that level is real in the first place. Everything that you're seeing happen happened, but maybe it didn't happen the way that you're watching it happen. So the perception is that everybody stands in line and out of everybody that stood in line, some of these people that stood in line had talent, some didn't, and you're getting a peek at this process. Well, the production team knows that I'm a full-time professional. So what? We're going to respect your time. We're not going to make you stand in the open cattle call line. We're going to say, come to the Chicago Conference Center and then be at this room at this time to check in. And then the producers will handle you from there. So you've got kind of two tracks on the back end. You got the professional folks that they know, look, we need to treat them right because they're busy. We know that they're going to be good. So let's have this approach and anybody who has a dream and might be able to sing well, which that's another thing, like America's Got Talent is for variety performers. You've already got singing competitions. So why are you letting in stingers to a variety artist thing? Anyway, so you go through and you go into a room where there's three people and a camera person. You do what you do. And then those three people go, hey, could you stick around and do that again? You're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Then another producer takes you to another holding room where you hang out for an hour, twiddling your thumbs, being like, all right, I'm bored, but I guess this is what it takes. Then somebody else at the clipboard and a headset comes up and be like, are you Jonathan? You're like, sure am. They're like, all right, follow me. Then you walk into another room where there's 15 people and three cameras. And can you do what you do? You're like, sure. You do your thing. And then they go, hey, could you stick around for a while? Like, absolutely. Then some different person with the clipboard and a headset comes and takes you to another holding room where you sit for who knows how long. Then another person with a clipboard and a headset comes and goes, are you Jonathan? And you're like, sure am. Follow me. Cool. Then they take you upstairs to the holding room where it looks like everybody's hanging out in that room with the big AGT sign there and the banners. Then, oh, it's all... It's all the production thing. Then they've got the, the producers going, hey, could you sit here? Could you prep your stuff like you're getting ready to go do the stuff you just did? Like, yeah, sure. So then they get shots of you prepping and then like, all right, look over there. And you're like, oh, okay, this is me just waiting for them to come, right? It's all, it's all directed. It's really happening, but it's all directed. It, it couldn't happen any other way. So there's no way that you're going to coordinate that many people to a successful end going, well, we can't direct any of this because it's a real show about reality. No. So it's a show that's produced about the talent show that's going on. So what I didn't understand is that those were the first three or four rounds that I filmed in one afternoon. Then after you go home, the producer's are like, hey, we'll, we'll be in touch. They might be. And then they did, they emailed me back. So going, hey, you've made it through to New York where you'll be in front of the judges and we'll fly you out. We'll take care of everything. And then that's a couple months later, you go out to New York and then that whole day is a, a whole thing in and of itself. Then you walk out or you interview with Nick Cannon, who's like, you ready to go do your thing? Like, sure am, Nick. Thanks. And then the... Producers like, don't go out there, wait for it. So then they've got to do the calls and all the tech has to be done. Okay. 
So another 10 minutes of sitting there waiting and you're right by the stage. You can see the stage, you can see the audience and you're like, all right. So then they go, all right, you're about to go out 10, nine. And they go, all right, take the stage. You go, cool. Then you walk out on stage and then you do your thing. So that's, that's it, man. It's wild how the show is created. And then I got three out of four yeses. So I made it into the next round and they do something brilliant as much as it is Machiavellian in a bad way, which is that all the performers, you've been in the same holding rooms all day and they're like, these are your fellow performers who are going to, right? Like, yeah, so this is my tribe. So then they encourage you to share each other's social media and all that kind of stuff to get connected so that when the producers put them on the show, you're going, hey, go watch my friends. They're performing because you're like, my, they're going to bring me on soon. But then the producers never call you back because you may not fit the most compelling narrative for that season's episodes, right? So they've recruited you as part of their social media marketing team because you're on the hook believing that you're going to be on the show. So you want everybody to support you. So you support everybody until it's the live performances and you're not there in Vegas and you're going, oh, I guess, I guess I didn't make the cut from the narrative standpoint, not even from the judges standpoint. So more people get through from the judges than the producers bring on to the show. So it you gets weirder too, man. So you go through the process and you don't know until the live show, whether you've made it. So let's say, let's pretend the live show is on a Wednesday and you're saying to yourself, Hmm, it's Monday. I haven't been called yet. So I guess I'm not going. Is that basically what's kind of going on in your head, which is yeah, really, yeah. but, but all this time you have been promoting and prompting and supporting your teammates because you're going to be there with them in Vegas on Wednesday. But if nobody calls you, you're SOL. Right. Because I got through in New York. Yeah. So. I'm waiting for the producers to tell me about details for Vegas. Unbelievable. And that could be months between because, yeah, it makes sense that we record all of this six months early so that we can produce it. And then the live episodes start in August or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got three months worth of lead up. Hey, everybody should probably watch America's Got Talent because it might be interesting to people that know me. Right. No <laughs> That's the whole thing. No kidding. Yeah. So yeah. When there's an agent involved, there's money involved. How much do you get paid to be on AGT? I didn't get paid. Oh, you didn't get paid. The expenses, they took care of hotel food and the ticket, like the air airplane, but they're not paying you for your time. So the return for you is the exposure is being on stage is the audience. Essentially not you rhetorically. One is a puppet in the machine. Exactly. And you go in, hopefully, with your eyes open. Of course. That that's the deal. But a lot of people don't know that's the machine that they're about to get ground up in. And it's like, I, I was on a commercial for three seconds, maybe that long. So technically, I made it to air. Yeah. But none of my full performances ever made it onto the show. Uh, interesting. Right? Weirder is that people's performances who did make it onto the show... Sometimes the audience's reaction that they got is not the audience's reaction that makes it onto the broadcast. Yes. So Good and bad. I, I, I like reading the fine print, especially when you watch shows like, uh, I'll watch shows with my kids, uh, what's it called again? Uh, with the masks and the people dancing, uh, mask singer. Uh, and you'll see right at the end, real quick cut, scenes of audience uh, cheering may or may not be edited to reflect what's actually happening in front of them. So I think that's exactly what you're saying, right? So I'm in the audience cheering like a mofo, but I might, that scene of me cheering might not necessarily be reflecting because I'm cheering for Jonathan. Right. Or I get a standing ovation, but they cut to people booing because that fits the narrative of how they want to present me. The performer has zero control over how they're presented on broadcast. Yeah. You have zero control over it. So when... So I know that narratives are formed around reality television shows and that whole reality genre. We have to look no further than somebody's going to say, Keith, how do you know so much about what we're going to talk about next? 
But we have to look no further than what's happening with Mauricio Omansky and Kyle Richards and their alleged separation and divorce across their two television shows that happen to be airing right now. And if you want to stay in the public eye, there's no better way than just having some kind of storyline. So we know there's narratives crafted there. I, I got to be honest. And you know there's narratives crafted in WWE and wrestling shows and those entertainment. But I never considered the idea of a narrative for like a show like AGT. Very naive to that, yep. frankly. Obviously very naive to yeah. that. I, I straight I have performer friends who said, I got a standing ovation. And when they were on the show, people were booing. And I'm like, I know that they haven't been booed for 20 years once they got out of performing at bars. Like, I, I know their act. I know what they did. I know they crush it every single time. There's no way those 3,000 people in that room booed to them. So, yeah, that totally jives. As a performer. thing. Yeah. It all happened. It all happened. It just didn't happen the way that it's being broadcast. How does that make you feel as a performer being misrepresented? Part of it is that's the Faustian bargain. You both know what you're doing here. I know that if I get on to broadcast, I can instantly put that in my sizzle reel and my price just went up. They know that. So that's the bargain with the devil. You also know that ooh, they might cut me into booing. And well, I have been booed by 2000 people before in real time because I screwed up real bad and it didn't ruin my career. So, okay, worst case scenario, I would still be able to say I was on America's Got Talent and almost nobody is going to go through the archives to find it. And if they did, they're like, oh my God, that was brutal. And you're like, yeah, that was right. So it's not as bad as you might think because they're, they are high stakes but it's not as high as you think because it's all about that consistent effort over time. That's, that's what Kung Fu is all about. Skill acquired through effort over a long time. So there really isn't one make or break thing. I mean, unless you win the whole kit and caboodle, at which point that's a completely different creature. But if you're misrepresented for 20 seconds of television airtime, you still get to say, well, I was on TV and people go, oh, you got the stamp of approval from the machine that I allowed to program me. So therefore you've been approved by my programmer. I am programmed to like you. You'll still get that. Even if it wasn't oh, a standing ovation, everybody loves me. Yes. Yes. Jonathan, one of the key attributes I think that a business athlete entails is the skill, the attribute of vulnerability. It would seem very apparent to me that being a performer in front of whether it's one person, five people, 10 people, a hundred thousands of people, you are naked and vulnerable on that stage. Where did you find that in yourself to find the confidence to put your vulnerability on full display day after day, night after night, knowing you might fall on your face more often than not, but you're going to pick yourself up. To many people, vulnerability is a hard attribute to wrap their heads around because they're scared. How did you get over the fear, Jonathan, of being vulnerable? Exposure therapy. Shouldn't do it. Dude, I'm scared. Go do it anyway. And specific to going out for America's Got Talent right before walking out on that stage, I literally told myself, this is what you want. This is what you do. This is how you have fun. That's what I told myself over and over right before going out. Like I was still amped, right? My, my physiological response was still just bonkers through the roof. But also I'm like, yeah, this is appropriate for the situation. So it wasn't, I'm freaked out, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I've got stage fright, I'm, I'm going to go out there, do what I do. I have a weird perspective on the vulnerability part from the world of being a magician and a mentalist is that weirdly, if I mess up, it makes me more believable because, well, he's trying something that's hard enough as it is. If the tiger didn't show up in the box... You'd be like, well, I saw that screw up. And then the rest of it is kind of host. But with a mentalist where you're trying mind-to-mind -mind communication and all these really difficult mental things, a lot of people go, I can't even remember my dad's phone number. And look at what this guy's trying to do. Like, I'm going to cut him a little slack. So it weirdly buys in even more reality into the performance if I screw up. And that's even if I have a genuine mess up. But what's amazing to me is how you can engineer those moments of vulnerability that allow your audience to feel like they got a peek into a genuine reaction because we got to see him messed up 
And then you go see that show a second time and exactly the same thing happens in exactly the same way a second time. Then you go, holy cow, he made all that happen. None of that was on accident. He orchestrated that entire thing. Okay, he's operating on a completely new level that I've never even dreamt of having. So it's understanding those multiple layers of perception and how people are showing up to the experience that enable you to create those connections in special moments so that people will be telling their grandkids 20 years later, I was in a show and I saw him mess up that one time. It was hilarious. Yeah, everybody who has ever seen that show over the past five years saw exactly that same special moment, which is a weird architecting experience idea as well. So there, there, there's genuine vulnerability, there's architected vulnerability, and both create the same outcome is that connection with your audience. But for me, a lot of it started as, well, I'm playing this role as this person. I'm using this script. So it's not me being judged. It's this thing that I've known how to create that people are enjoying, which you have to remember that or you get devoured by the praise too. So that's why you see so many performers spiral out is they insulate themselves from the negative feedback by saying, oh, this is just a role that I'm playing. But the positive feedback, they're going, well, they love me because I'm so good at what I do. They're just, they have to love me because I'm amazing. And then that's how success can destroy you is you believe your own promo, you believe the positive, but ignore the negative. And that's a real recipe for, or for ruining your whole life. I love how you brought up the idea of playing a role. When I built my first company, I, I, I kind of took a, it would seem that I took a page out of maybe the old school wrestling world where you build like a caricature of yourself. You, you become something that you sell, you put on the stage, you market, you mon you go and you become a caricature, you become a character. And I think that's what a lot of Elon Musk is great at doing it, you know, whether like him or hate him regardless, but he's able to create a character of himself and people buy into that character. That's exactly what you're saying too, isn't it? Which is. I'm Jonathan Pritchard, the performer, but when I go home at night, sure, many of my attributes are the same, but I'm able to take off my hat. I'm able to take off my, my, my performance and just be, I don't know if you're a father, but I'm able to just be a human being and just be, just be myself. Would I say that correctly? That's really what, am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there, there are two ways to do that of even what you're talking about. There, there are two approaches to that. One is that you're creating a completely different character that is counter to how you show up on a day-to-day time frame, And it's bombat like whatever that looks like, it can be a completely different character as though you're Tom Cruise playing a movie role that needs a completely different person. This is unrecognizable to your day-to-day personality. That can be difficult when that becomes your business. And mm-hmm. that's an easy way for people to go, well, they love the character, but not me. Or... I'm having to sell myself out and be something I'm not in order to get what I want, which is a really tough place to be in because then the success feels hollow as well. On the other side of that character development, the the way I now think about it, because I had a stage name, I had a stage character to purposefully build an insulation barrier between my college fans, because I do a lot of shows at colleges and universities. So I wanted to have some barrier between, oh, who Johnny Zavant is, like an idiot Zavant, but punked up with a Z. So Johnny Zavant was my college character so that fewer people would find Jonathan Pritchard, who's a family guy, right? Mm -hmm. So I did that for a long time, but it did get weird of, oh, I'm living two lives. And then some people are like, do I call you Johnny? Do I call you Jonathan? What's the context here, right? So that's when I transitioned into my business It's Zavant Enterprises, but I'm showing up as Jonathan Pritchard. So the character you're developing is more about maximizing communication and understanding. Sure, you are who you are. You know who you are because you've lived with yourself from day one. So you're the only person with that universal understanding of who you are. But everybody in the world sees you in this slice of time. 
So the people who go, well, I'm just being me. No, you're not. You're being you in this moment. So you can't be everything that you are in every second because you could only behave at frame rate of once per second, basically, right? So you're already deciding what to do and what not to do, what to talk about, what not to talk about. So when you're on stage or you're in front of an audience, it's not a completely different character. You're simply dialing up the elements of your personality that help your audience understand your message. And you're dialing down anything that would distract from that. So it's not that you're not being true to myself. It's that you're prioritizing the audience's understanding over your preference to be a jerk, to be like whatever would distract from your message. And then that's your onstage character. I think you're giving a really good description of in a roundabout way of being authentic or because I'm just, I'm talking to Jonathan Pritchard, but as I've talked to you now for 45 minutes, I can get some senses of, of Johnny Zavant. Right. But because that's who you are still, but yet it's like Marshall Mathers or, or Eminem or it's, it's those characters that, right. So, but yet within that, there's Jonathan Pritchard, the core of the human being, right. But you have this edgy side to you, which might be the Zavant that you play with over there, but that's the authentic you. And I know I've found that in myself is the more authentic I am, the more successful I am. Right. So when you go to right. out of the box of being a character or a caricature, the more real that I am, the more vulnerable, real failure self-deprecating. I do not mind being. So what I love about being confident is you can equally be self-deprecating because they go hand in hand. Right. So, and I think you would agree with that as a performer, because I think being a successful leader and being a successful business leader is equally being a performer, getting your audience to buy your message, drink your Kool-Aid, communicate effectively, take them through bad times, take them through good times, but you're, you're performing for your audience. That's drinking your Kool-Aid. Do you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. And there, I agree with you. And oftentimes, most people, if those are enough qualifiers, awesome. Most people, when they're talking about authenticity, are saying, well, I'm reserving the right to be a jerk or an idiot or to continue these behaviors and patterns that interrupt your ability to understand my message when I'm trying to get across. And I, I was friends with a lot of philosophy majors in college and one of my friends made me laugh so hard when the subject of authenticity came up. Like, I want to be authentic. And he goes, okay, how do you take an authentic poop? What's an authentic versus inauthentic? What, walk me through that. So he was highlighting that authenticity is kind of a thing that doesn't exist because you're presenting yourself moment by moment. And it's the Forrest Gump, stupid is a stupid does kind of thing. It's like you are what you do and you're always being who you are through your behavior that you're engaging in. So you're right in that the more authentic you're being, the easier time you have continuing that behavior (laughs) that is in alignment with your fundamental beliefs and core mission in life. So to me, that's what authenticity is. Am I aligned with my mission and my purpose and my thoughts, dreams, actions? Are those all aligned? Cool. Then I'm being authentic to my mission. And it's more about that integrity, integrating all elements of my life to that point. But it's difficult to be inauthentic more so than I'm lying or I'm misrepresenting what my intentions are. I would, I tend to err on the side of confidence over the vulnerability angle of it because people buy tickets to see something that they're not. Mm-hmm. If I wanted authentic, if I wanted real life, I wouldn't be going to the movies. I wouldn't go to a play. I wouldn't go to this self-help guru. I don't want somebody that's normal. All of my friends are normal. My family's normal. I'm normal. I want something extraordinary and exceptional. So be that extraordinary exception that gives people a glimpse into what's possible. So I don't like self-deprecating humor because if you're self-deprecating, I don't have enough context to know that is counter to what you're capable of. So all you're doing is telling me, I shouldn't think that you're capable of exceptional things. If our context, our relationship is over long enough time span then self-deprecating humor makes sense because I have seen firsthand that what you're saying is not true. But if you try it too early in the relationship, you're telling me that 
I can't trust you to solve my problems because whatever it is you just said to make a joke, it's your friends. You can put them down Mm. because that insult humor that you love your friends. But if all you do is you put your friends down, suddenly your friends are like, this guy's a jerk. Oh, Oh, no, I'm just kidding. You're like, no, I don't. Because all you do is put me down in front of people. I don't have friends that do that. No, bro, we're, we're bros. Like, no, all you do is you be mean to me. And that person thought that this is how you show love, right? So that's at the heart of miscommunicating intentions. So I tend to err on the side of, I've spent my life becoming extraordinary. I've got lots of boring time. You don't want that time. You're here for the extraordinary things that I can do. And yeah, I I know I can do things that most people on planet Earth can't do. And it's worth a lot of money to a lot of companies. So hire me over the guy who goes, well, I guess I could do some things that might be good. Self-deprecation. Like, nope, you're going to lose. And I saw that in the showbiz side. There was a guy whose show was objectively worse than mine, but he was a better hype person. Me, I was literal. My show's really good. It's really good for families and it's perfect for these things. This other guy, it's the best show you've ever seen. You won't be able to comprehend how amazing this is. Okay, who got booked more? That guy. Who who had more stage time to get better? That guy. After five years, whose show is better? That guy. So it it has some really significant drawbacks if you prioritize self-deprecation, relatability, vulnerability, when you're in the business of doing the impossible. Interesting. Interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. And I will have to tell you that when I started this show here a few weeks ago with producer Roland, our ambition was not only to have our audience learn from our our guests, but also myself. And I've just learned a lot in the last three minutes. So I, I consider myself a very confident human being. I also consider myself one who's okay to be self-deprecating about it because I guess that's the authentic side of me. I have found a sense of uncomfortability sometimes throughout my life being too bombastic or too confident or too uh, telling you how telling you too much of how good I am. Yeah, sure. I started a company for nothing. I employed 500 people at the greatest point. We worked as biggest brands in the world. You know, I sold it for tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. Right, changed my life. It's somewhat of an uncomfortable trait for me to stand up there and say that. Yet you're right. Well, people want to go, well, fuck, how did he do that? I want to learn how he did that because I want to be part of that. Am I that's what you're saying, isn't it, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of the context that I've seen that play out was that my mentor is was a guy by the name of James Randy. Yeah. And back in the day, he was hugely famous. Like back in the happy days or happy days was the one of the number one TV shows on planet Earth. He was a two part guest on that show where it ends with the cliffhanger and then they got to come back next week to see how it resolves. Like he was a, an escape artist. He did an upside down street jacket escape hanging from a helicopter over Niagara Falls, that kind of thing. Right. Like if you've if you're a fan of Penn and Teller, he helped them work together. Like I used to do amazing work. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. Yes. That was my mentor that I worked with for really 13 years, helped him put on a science conference. And I was his right-hand man at that conference for anything he needs. You need water? I'm I'm getting it. Did you forget something in the room? I'm going to get it. So I was his gopher for years at this conference. Nobody knows who I am, but I got to see him be around other famous people. So I got to see what that looks like. And I got to see people who were starstruck by him fumble over themselves because they're freaked out that they're meeting their idol. And Randy was so gracious with his time and wanting to meet his fans because he knew that without fans, a performer's nothing, right? Business isn't anything without its its clients. So he was so gracious with his time, but he also told me they want you to be famous. They want you to be special, so be that for them. So it's more about being comfortable Mm. with your fans loving you than it is with believing what your fans believe about you to be true. So it's not that you're telling them how amazing you are. It's that you're not going to insult your fans for loving you by telling them that their love is misplaced because I'm a normal guy. I'm not that special guy you think I am. So that's the weird part about it is 
it's kind of like saying after somebody sees my show and they go, you're the best performer I've ever seen in my life. And I go, oh, I've been better. Oh, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that because what you just told them is you're bad at evaluating how good I am. You're an idiot because you think I'm good. That's not a good look, right? So really the only appropriate thing to do is to say, thank you so much. It means the world to hear you say that. That's all you have to say. And to be comfortable giving them that space to meet you as the person that they know you to be instead of trying to argue with them or undercut that, that love. Miley Cyrus was recently asked the question of why she doesn't tour as often as she used to. And she spoke about the challenges of, and I found it striking, the mental challenges she had where she had to show up for work and become the rock star and then have 18,000 people plus her whole entourage basically on their hands and knees in a godlike fashion. And, and she said exactly what you, d- you just said, Jonathan. I had to be that or else there was really, that's what they all came for. And, and if you can't separate yourself from that over time, as, as she said, she saw in her past, it became really troubling for her. So she said, basically to paraphrase, being on the roads unhealthy for me as a human being, because it goes to my head and I'm unable to separate that from reality. I found that really striking and really honest. And I really had a lot of respect for that comment because I can imagine what it's like when you're treated that way day after day. And like you just said, you have to be that way because that's what they're paying you to be. So how do you trick that in your head? Raise what you're saying, right? Yeah. 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 And to me, the the armor is, thank you very much. Yes. It means the world to hear you say that. Yes. Because I know when I get on that plane back home, there's garbage to be taken out. Yes. <laughs> yes. You forgot to mow the lawn before you left. Yes. Good to take care of that. So I've got a whole life full of people that understand that part of who I am. And that's part of who I'm always going to be. And also the day-to-day boring me that I, I happily inhabit as kind of counterbalance to that. Of course. Jonathan, we booked you for an hour. Coming up on the 56-minute mark. Very grateful for your time. One of the topics we have not jumped into, and I'm hoping you can grab a two, two minutes for me, is the idea of athletics and kung fu. And I know you're a big kung fu master, and, and that's a big part of your business success. And that, to me, is what a business athlete is. Could you touch upon how you use the role of athleticism, your Kung Fu practice to make you a better business person and a better human being. Absolutely. And to me, all business consulting is Kung Fu in secret because every question is some form of, hey, I'm getting punched in the face. What do I do about it? Okay. Have you moved out of the way yet? That's number one, right? So you can use that as the universal filter and lens to interpret every business challenge. And Kung Fu as a practice and as a system gives you real life physics feedback of how effective this strategy is versus that strategy. And if this strategy doesn't work in the physical realm, it's probably not going to work in the emotional or intellectual or interpersonal realm either. So what I like about Kung Fu is that it teaches you how to stand your ground, how to define zero. I'm here in the universe. This is my spot. And it teaches you how much area of influence you have, which is not much. When you start, you don't even know how to manage this. So step one is learning how to stand on your own two feet and manage to stay upright. That's it. Then you learn how to move through space directly, straight lines. But then sometimes you might need an obstacle. So how do you go indirectly to your goal? Then how do I manage that through space and time? So that's the wooden dummy, right? If you've ever watched a Kung Fu movie, Jackie Chan, Mm -hmm. who's that wooden dummy Mm -hmm. with arms on it, like that's it. So you learn your positioning, your transitions, your timing, your distance management, all of that stuff. Then you learn how to use tools like swords to increase your area of influence of the space you can manage now. Then once you can manage that, you've got a nine foot pole and that teaches you leverage, but it takes a lot of control and power to manipulate this small piece of it to affect nine feet away. Because if you've ever held a nine foot pole or an oar by the end, it's real heavy, really difficult. So it takes a lot of effort, power and control. Now, if you want amplified effects later, down the road. So that's the system that teaches you how do I build a business? How do I move it to market? 
How do we deal with challenges? How do we deal with interpersonal stuff? What systems and tools are we using to increase our market share? And what do we work on today that might be difficult so that we can leverage it to greater returns in a year from now? So it's the blueprint for navigating complex systems and challenges. I love it. It makes a lot of sense. The structure that Kung Fu brings to your life and to that discipline is the same structure required for success in business. There's no question about that. Jonathan, you've been a wonderful guest. I act, there's no question I could have sat here for hours talking about magic and mentalism, and I thoroughly enjoy those topics. I, I've been to Penn & Teller and Copperfield and all the magicians on the planet followed Houdini. So I'm here in Winnipeg where uh, Dean Gunnarsson, a Winnipeg boy who's followed in the footsteps of Houdini, has done a bunch of, bunch of magician shows around town here and so forth. So I've got a box full of magic tricks just here to my left. So, and do you remember the amazing Kreskin? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up with yeah. the amazing Kreskin, right? So the whole concept. So that's what I mean. Like, I know you got to go. I could talk. I hope you'll come back so we can continue this conversation because this is info this is interesting to me. I love this stuff and it's, it's maybe not athletic, but it's just, it's, and I think it's interesting to a lot of people that really don't, maybe aren't thinking about it. Right. So, and the entertainment aspect of business and performance and everything that you do. And we haven't even had a chance to talk about that banjo behind you. Uh, yeah. Don't you threaten me with a good time. I'll, I'll take <laughs> you up on it. I'd love to come back and I really appreciate your questions. It, it's been really insightful. That's awesome. Anything you want to plug before we say goodbye? Basically, if you've enjoyed it this far, then I would love to, to stay connected. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is to go to ICanReadMinds.com. And I email people once a weekday, right? I, five days a week, I'm thinking, all right, what idea or insight can I give to help somebody train better, be more effective? So it's a high tempo, but they're very short, couple sentences at most. And that's the, the best place to, to get connected. Awesome. Jonathan Pritchard, thanks for joining me live in the lab today. If you can stick around for a second, I'm going to say goodbye to the crew here. Hey, it's uh, Keith Billis here. We're live in the lab on a Friday. So we have another great week of shows coming up next week, a bunch more live in the lab, noon central time, Monday to Friday. You find us here on YouTube, you find us on LinkedIn, you find us on X. And as my kids like to say, hey, dad's a YouTuber. Dad's a YouTuber. Go subscribe to the show. It'll help put food on the table for my family. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us live in the lab.